Clarkson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We'll be detailing last week's free agent signings and as well as we start looking ahead to the draft. We are one month away. We're joined by our first draft expert to see who and where the Texans will turn to to fill these defensive holes and replace an offensive star. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Texans straight from the Great British Isles. We are delighted to be joined by John Harris from Texas Media and the, the procreator of the Harris 100. John, how are you? Doing well. Uh, you know, trying to hang in there, as I know people throughout the world are, and these are you know, crazy times. And you know, about the one thing that's really kind of kept all of us, uh, I guess, Sane? Is that maybe the right word? Is that football has continued? Although last week, I don't, I maybe maybe Texans fans wanted last week not to exist, um, considering what uh, what they did. But uh, it happened, and we got to move on, and now we got to get ready for 2020. Yeah, that's right. I think there's been it was a bit of a bombshell for all concerned last week, and I think probably the criticism came from it seems like a bit of a change in strategy from the front office. Um, but I mean, regardless, you know what the outcry's been, and you know what people are saying online. Can you help us make some sense of it as we face into twenty twenty and we start life after Nuke Hopkins? Yeah, you know, I, I wish that I wish that there were I wish there was something that you could go. Okay, it was because of because of this. Um, you know, I wish there was something that you could point to that you know you could say it's it you know it's this and you know I think as as in all relationships, and, and I think that's that's the one thing that sometimes we as as football fans and we as sports fans you know, sort of forget is that a team is is nothing but relationships. It, and yes, athletic ability and, and all that, but you know relationships are are so huge um, in in team sports and, and obviously in NFL locker room and and there are just going to be times when it's maybe time for a relationship to change, uh, for for one of the parties to, to move on, for for whatever reason. And and I know that people in, in Houston have, have not been happy. I know people that are Texas fans throughout the world have not been happy uh, with the situation. It was it was kind of a head scratcher. Um, and and that's one of the I don't want to say it's one of the fortunate aspects, but. I, I knew Hop and I I knew him I knew him fairly well and, and Hop you know would he'd come talk to me a number of times and I, I remember back in I think it was 2016 maybe maybe 2017 I think he had maybe a one day holdout he held out for a day maybe a day and a half and then he came right back to training camp and I remember he did a press conference. And somebody had asked him something at the press conference, and it was a writer in Houston that had written something that wasn't so you know, glowing of, of Hop uh, because of this holdout. And it was basically, you know, Hop, just the competitor he is, he just couldn't bring himself to kind of stay away from the team. And so this writer had written something, and it was not, it was just, oh, you know, that holdout, that one-day holdout, what did it accomplish? It was just kind of dumb. And so that guy was asking questions of DeAndre and DeAndre was just sort of short with him. 
And so he happened to see me coming off the practice field. And he called me back over. And he said, hey, man, I, I don't really want to talk to that guy from now on. I said, I said, hop. I said, look, you know, if you, if you don't talk to him or ignore him, then he's going he's gonna to get you. Like, he's going to think he's got you. Like, he's in your head. Don't let him get in your head. And so we had, we had, you know, talks like that about different things that were going on. You know, we talked about his family, how he was doing, all that kind of stuff. So I, I knew Hop pretty well. And I knew there were times over the last couple of years where Hop was not feeling the love, so to speak. And I just would reassure him, like, look, man, I'm sure that's just, you know, the competition. You know, things get heated on the sidelines you know, in practice, whatever the case might be. And I think he down deep maybe felt like, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they don't want me here. And I, I never really thought that to be the case, but I just feel like it was a relationship that maybe had run its course and for whatever reason. And, and, and that happens, that happens in sports. You know, we, we've seen it in, in all different, you know, player moves on. Sometimes the coach is fired, you know, and I think that's sort of what happened here. And I think people just, they're not, they're not letting it go. And, and look, there's nothing else to really absorb the blow. There's no Rockets. There's no Texans. There's nothing really to absorb the blow from, from this. And so it's just nothing but talk about the Texans because it's really the only thing going on. And so in due time, and I think the draft, will help a little bit we we just have got to move on for as much as it still sort of i don't know pains us if you will but we've got we got to move on and we got to look at okay what what do we have all right so we we got rid of the maserati in the garage what else do we have you know we've got some pretty cool sports cars maybe not anything like the maserati but you know we got some good sports cars and we got plenty of them so how do we use all of them in the right way. And I think that's, that's the key thing besides the biggest thing of all, which is if Will Fuller is going to step up and be the number one, he's got to stay healthy. And there isn't anybody in the NFL, in the world that follows football, that follows the NFL and follows the Texans that doesn't know that. And the one person who knows him more than anybody is Will Fuller. And if Will can stay healthy, then Will's got an opportunity to be a number one wide receiver in this league and be a really good one. But he's got to stay healthy. And that obviously is a big roll of the dice considering the history. But that's where we are. And the other side of it, too, is the fact that this is, a, this is an excellent draft. And, I, and the first thing people say is, well, there are no DeAndre Hopkins out there. Understood. I understand that there is going to be a guy that comes in and turns into DeAndre Hopkins tomorrow. But DeAndre Hopkins didn't become DeAndre Hopkins overnight either. So, yeah. It's a team that made some moves last year that you know, a lot of people wanted to say, oh, they're all in. They're, they're going all in to win now, to win now team. And that was not really the case. They made a move in Laramie Tunsil. The guy's 25 years old. You know, Vernon Hargraves was just 26. Everybody they brought to the team was, you know, I don't think any of them was older than 26. So it wasn't as if they were saying win now. They felt like winning now and they felt like they could win in the future. So this is not something kind of flying in the face of what they did. I think it's just a situation where the relationship had, had gotten to a point where it, it probably needed to change. 
and we'll see how it works out and how everybody adapts to it. Um, I wish Hot the best of luck, and I'm going to miss the heck out of him because I love him to death. But in the NFL, you know, it's business. And Hot knows it. The Texans know it. The fans don't quite know that, and I don't blame them. But we got to move on, and then hopefully we'll find good ways to move on. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's easy to forget, you know, when you're not inside the building or with the team every day that, you know, the what you see on the field and through the media at practice is a small percentage of everything that goes into putting a pro football team and a pro football program together. So, uh, you know, it's uh, appreciate your honesty, Johnny, in terms of going over that and and the and the, the you know and it starts without hop and I think you uh, before we get on to the the draft and the wide receivers that you said uh, the Texans signed a wide receiver in Randall Cobb um, what do you what do you make of that and what do you think he'll bring to this team? Well, the first concern I had was does Randall Cobb have any juice left? That was that was my first concern because I saw it and I saw the money I went wow that's kind of a rich that's a rich deal. Does he have any juice left? That was my concern. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch a ton of Cowboys games last year. And when I did, I was more poking fun at the fact that the Cowboys were losing and not really looking at Randall Cobb. But I've known Randall just watching him over the years. Uh, before I moved to Houston, I grew up in Wisconsin, so the Packers are my second favorite team. And my parents still live there, so the Packers their favorite team. And so um, – so I've been a Randall Cobb guy for a while. I, I loved him coming out of Kentucky. I thought he was going to make, a, make an impact in the NFL, and he certainly has. And so when I, I first say, okay, let me get a game as close to the end of the year as possible, because Cowboys didn't make the playoffs. Ha, take that, Cowboys. Um, and so I, I, I went and I saw the Philadelphia game. And he comes in the game, and they, he's in the slot on the right side. It's a third down play. It's like third and five. And he's in the slot on the right side, and he runs it out and up. And Philadelphia's corner, Avante Maddox, is a guy that can really run. And he's not a big guy, but he's a nickel corner, and he can really, really run. And Randall runs to the flat on the out, and Maddox starts to, to jump it. And Cobb turns up the sideline, and, you know, it's one of those things, and I'm, I'm – one of the world's worst. When I watch film, I talk to it. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God, because I saw him turn up field and Maddox is like grasping at air and Randall just turns up the field and I'm like, touchdown. Cause he's, I mean, not only is he wide open, but now he's flying up the sideline and I'm like, whoa, that's juice. Well, Dak wasn't even looking at that side. I mean, it's a touchdown. There's nobody in the vicinity. But Dak got locked in on Amari Cooper on the other side, threw incomplete, uh, and the Cowboys went off the field. I ran that play back. I'm like, did I miss something? This, this doesn't look like a guy who's been in the league for 10 years. What, 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 did I miss something? And I went back and I watched that play maybe 25 times. And I'm talking about juice. So then I watched a couple other games, and I saw him do some things that the Texans have struggled doing uh, over the last, you know, how many ever years, you know, with a, with a true slot receiver getting open, catching the football, making something happen after the catch. And that's really what, you know, I saw with Randall Cobb. Now, he has had some drops, but I do think with a guy like Deshaun Watson, Deshaun's going to be able to throw him into open spots. I think Randall's going to make some, you know, some things happen after the catch. 
But the biggest thing was there's still some juice there. He's still got some juice. And I think that was the biggest thing that I was happiest in seeing is that he still got some acceleration in his game that, uh, that the Texans can use. Look, Kenny Stills and Will Fuller can run. But the fact that you have a slot guy in Randall Cobb that can also do that and can work the middle of the field as a season bet, I think I felt really good. Now, I don't know if I would have given him that much money, but I guarantee I would have absolutely wanted him for a quarterback that is still growing and learning and needs guys that he can rely on. And I think that's what Randall Cobb will be, is a guy that Deshaun Watson can effectively rely on. It's third down. He knows where Randall's going to be. Randall knows where he needs to be, and they're going to hook up. And I think that as Randall learns this offense, I think he is going to be a very solid foundation piece for Deshaun Watson and this offense in the middle of the field where the Texans really could use another threat to go along with the tight ends, Darren Fells, Aikens, and potentially Collie Waring. I think Randall gives them a really nice option in the middle of the field. Yeah, and I think we've seen when this offense gets it right, it's slot. It looks like a completely different proposition on the field. Obviously, 18 million guaranteed. People are going to, you know, there's been some comments about that. Does that spell the end for... For, Cookie, uh, for Kiki QT, I don't know. Uh, but I, I always go back to Deshaun's first season when uh, Bruce Ellington was in the slot, and that was when Deshaun yep. was at his best. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and Bruce really, I thought Bruce was good. I felt like Bruce left yards and catches on the table because I, Bruce didn't have the greatest hands. So Deshaun had to be ultra-perfect. Uh, with ball placement to make sure that Bruce was able to catch get upfield. And with Bruce, kind of the same thing, you, you didn't know whether he was going to be healthy from week to week. And that was really, that was really tough um, because you got to where you were relying on him and then he missed a few games um, because, you know, of the, the hamstring or whatever he's dealing with. As it pertains to Kiki QT, I, you know, I think it's one of those, it's a signing to say, hey, look, man, we got a vet that can do your job. Now, you want to you grow up and mature and be the guy? All right, well, here you go. Now's your time. You're going to get the opportunity because you know the offense. So go beat him out. And, and look, whether it's Randall Cobb or it's TTQT, yeah, people will lose their minds if Randall Cobb isn't that guy because of the money they spent. But as long as, to me, they find somebody on the inside that can be a threat and be a consistent threat for Deshaun, then I'm going to be happy with it. Yeah, I always remember, I was the day and uh, probably my most memorable game ever being for watching the Texans was in Seattle, third down call, first quarter, crowd was loud. Uh, Bruce Ellington motions into the slot, easy first down, wide open, uh, and, it was, and it just silenced the crowd and it was just a complete pace changer for the team because they stayed on the field extended the drive and it, it was it, it just showed you know that's always the memory that stands out for me of Bruce Ellington it wasn't a big play but just at that point in the game how crucial that was to extend the drive and how, how much that can mean for this offense so whoever you know whoever wins that that spot I think it's a big a big uh, a big plus for this offense if they can get it right particularly with the absence of Nuke the other uh, signing I wasn't particularly familiar with a guy uh, traded from Kansas City goes to the Browns last year Texans pick up safety slash corner. I'm not quite sure. He's a bit of a, hi a hybrid type player, Johnny. 
uh, and Eric Murray. What do you make of him and what sort of role do you think he'll play in this team? Well, the interesting part was uh, Murray was a guy that I really liked coming out of college. And he played at University of Minnesota. He played corner. And he was a tough, physical guy. And I remember thinking, you know, he's probably a guy that is going to have to move to nickel or to safety because he wasn't, you know, the, the word I guess you would use is twitchy. He wasn't twitchy. He wasn't twitched up. He wasn't a guy that just, you know, could flip his hips and go. But he had good ball skills. And he was competitive, but I felt like maybe if he moved to the nickel or to safety, that would be a better fit for him. And I think that's what, you know, he's done. And I think that's what the Texans plan to do with him. Uh, again, it was a contract I, you know, kind of a little bit like, whoa, okay. Um, I, I always saw something in Eric Murray, but I think where he's been, he really hasn't had the, he hasn't made the impact because I think teams have tried to figure out what he is. Um, and to your point, and that is, is he a corner? Is he a safety? Is he a nickel? And I, to me, he's always struck me as a nickel slash safety. And I think that's where uh, the Texans could, without a doubt, use somebody. They could use somebody in that particular position. Now, they signed Murray before they brought back Vernon Hargraves. Um, and I think Hargraves will have, maybe a leg up on it because he already played that role. And I think that's a role that fits Vernon very, very well. But I do think that safety opposite Justin Reed becomes kind of interesting. You know, last year, Sean Gibson was not healthy almost the entire year. Um, and, and how healthy uh, he will be, how much they can count on him uh, remains to be seen. So they've got to fill that other position. Now, I've said this a few times, and I am not in charge. And if I were, though, the one thing I would think about is moving Lonnie Johnson to safety. And I know they, oh, they, wait, wait, they dropped him as a corner in the second round. He's a second-round guy. You know, I know that. But I think that Lonnie isn't – and I would love for the, I, I would love to be wrong, but Lonnie's success last year was a lot of times covering tight ends. It wasn't really covering the outside – threats at receiver now he had a couple moments down the field but when he covered guys that had you know some shakes and guys that had some good moves you know he struggled and I think that moving him to safety putting a guy like Lonnie Johnson next to Justin Reed I think would end up being a really nice safety tandem but I don't know if that's going to happen so if he stays at corner with Conley with Roby with Hargraves then if Gibson's banged up and you don't know if you can rely on him, well, you've got to have somebody in that spot. So I think Eric Murray, I think the other free agent, they signed Jalen Watkins, who is a lot like Murray in that they both played corner in college, but then it's sort of been on this corner to nickel to safety sort of transition. Um, and I think that's kind of why they like them is that they have corner experience. So they've ha they have cover experience, but they're probably more suited to play safety. So I think that's always kind of a good thing to have um, because uh, the versatility you need to cover guys in this league, those are guys that make some sense. So I think Murray and Jalen Watkins come in, and depending on the health of Deshaun Gibson, those guys are going to be pretty important as to, to figure out who's going to be that other safety. You still have A.J. Moore back there, but A.J.'s a special teams guy for sure, and I don't know if that spot – I mean, he'll compete for that spot, and it's shown some decent things over the years. But to me, that spot 
comes out to either Deshaun Gibson or if he's not healthy, Murray and Watkins fighting it out. The other opportunity there at safety to me is in the draft. Guys like Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. I know not, not a lot of people have heard of Lenore Ryan, uh, but I saw him at the Senior Bowl and really liked him. Uh, Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. These two guys are big, fast, physical. Uh, you know, I could see those guys, you know, fitting right next to Justin Reed. Um, you know, Ashton Davis from Cal is a guy that I really like. He was a track athlete at Cal, and he walked on the football team. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fast. Why don't I go try out? And he ended up being an all-Pac-12 safety. So I think there's some guys in this draft that are going to be in the mix. Even a guy like Grant Delpit, highly decorated safety out of LSU, you know, he's a guy that because of no pro days and because he was banged up at the end of the year, not a lot of people are going to have, you know, testing times on him. So he might fall to, uh, to a later round. So you might be able to jump on a guy like that and have some success with him. So I think that other spot, uh, other safety spot opposite Justin Reed ends up being one to watch in the draft. But I think Eric Murray, Jalen Watkins, those guys will compete for it. Uh, but obviously the health of Deshaun Gibson ends up being very key in all of this um, to see whether he's healthy. If not, then I think Murray and Watkins fight for that spot. And I think also a rookie is definitely going to be in that mix along with A.J. Moore. So safety, I think, is definitely worth watching in the draft for sure. Yeah, and you think Deshaun Gibson is going to want to have a, a bounce back year this year after probably, yeah, not not pro- quite playing up to that contract and probably the role that he wanted to play uh in, in this in the secondary we touched on safety there johnny how would you how how would you define this or what do you think this draft class in 2020 will be defined by uh when it's all said and done for the players that get selected come april uh i mean as far as your know, positions you mean yeah yeah i think there's a lot of talk about heavy heavy o-line is top five six and then you've got uh, yeah yeah and, and then you've got you know, I, I think it was uh, uh, Bruce Arians described it as a beauty pageant at wide receiver. So, what are the what, <laughs> you see it going that way? Yeah, I, I think receiver is outstanding. I mean, it is outstanding. And whether you know, take your pick of the two guys, Alabama and Hen, uh, Henry Ruggs the third and Jerry Judy, or uh, you know, those two guys are at the top of a lot a lot of people's list. C.D. Lamb uh, from actually uh, out of my neck of the woods, Richmond, Texas, and went to Oklahoma. Um, you know, CD is really fun to watch. You, know, you got guys like that, but you know, Denzel Mims from Baylor, you know, at 215 pounds, ran 4.39 uh, at the combine, um, catches everything under the sun. I mean, you know, T. Higgins from out of Clemson. I mean, this it is really it is a beauty contest. Um, you know, uh, it, you could have about 25 guys and go, okay, I'm going to give you this wide receiver, and I'd be like, okay, and they really kind of come in all shapes and sizes thing that stood out to me was the guys with size, 6'2", 215, 6'3", 220. You know, those guys ran exceedingly well at the combine. You know, Chase Claypool from out of Notre Dame. You know, Denzel Mims, as I said, those guys ran extremely well. So I think the receiver class has got a little bit of everything. And I don't want to say that, you know, trading Hopkins, you know, you traded Hopkins just because this wide receiver class is so good. But if there is an indirect positive in all of this it is that you can find a wide receiver uh to come in and again not to replace deandre hopkins day one with 100 plus catches and 10 touchdowns you know but a guy that can end up being 
a factor in 2020 and end up growing into hopefully a number one wide receiver role if Will Fuller is not able to stay healthy and be that guy. So I do think receiver is very, very good. Offensive tackles off the charts. I mean, there are so many offensive tackles. Um, I mean, to me, it starts at the top with Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. Uh, Jedrick Wills from Alabama is a guy. It's funny because a lot of people were really high on him. And at first I was not. But the more that I've studied him, the more I've really come around on him. Uh, Mekhi Becton from out of Louisville is maybe the freakiest guy in the whole draft in that he's 364 pounds. He ran a 5-1-40, which is faster than Tom Brady ran his 40, uh, you know, 20 years ago, which I know isn't saying a whole lot, but Tom Brady was 210 pounds. Mekhi Becton is 364, uh, and he is just on the field. He's an athlete who can move with some very violent hands. So tackle, I think, is exceptional. And it even goes beyond that, kind of the next tier of guys, the Vezra Cleveland from Boise State, Josh Jones from Houston, Austin Jackson, USC. The tackle position is just out, outstanding. Um, I think corner is pretty good. I don't think corner is the, the, the best it's been, but I do think corner is pretty good. Um, I think at the top is Jeffrey Okuda. Uh, and then after that, it's kind of what's your favorite flavor? Are you a vanilla, a strawberry, or a, or a chocolate sort of shake, you know, or do you like kind of a unique funky shake? I mean, whatever you like, I think all those flavors are available. You know, there are guys that are a little bit taller um, that can run. You know, a guy like C.J. Henderson from out of Florida, you know, is 6'1", ran 4'4". Jeff Gladney is a little shorter, but he's kind of long-limbed and, and Wiry, I mean, he ran a 4-4, and he's one of my favorites in this draft. But TCU, Christian Fulton from LSU, is you know as a competitive, physical guy, um, and one of the best press corners you're going to find. So I think corners good. Uh, I think tight end is not so good. I think the interior offensive line is not so good. Um, and those two, those are two positions. I mean, more than likely the Texans would look at. So to me, the needs for the Texans. I think match up except for probably one spot, and that's edge rusher. I don't know that there are a bunch of edge rushers in this draft. I think you'll have to be probably, um, probably have to be creative in how you look at guys that can rush from the edge if you are going to look at edge rushers. Um, you know, take a guy like Josh Uche from Michigan. You know, he is a guy that, boy, you watch him rush, and it's like, holy smokes, this guy is really good. The thing is, he's a lot like what you already have in Jacob Martin, and where he, and I don't know that you can play him out on the edge all three downs. So you got to get sort of creative with him, and that's that's going to be tough. And a guy like Zach Bond from Wisconsin, kind of the same thing. You're going to have to get creative. Now those guys can rush the quarterback and rush him really well, but beyond that, there's not there's not guys where I go, ooh, I like this guy. There are a couple off-the-beaten-path names. One to watch to me is Daryl Taylor, University of Tennessee. His former uh, linebackers coach, Chris Rumpf, is now with the Texans. So in this age of no pro days and not having a lot of visits, then having a guy's college coach in the building is going to help the Texans know exactly what they have with or potentially have with a guy like Daryl Taylor. So. Um, maybe that's an advantage that the Texans are able to exploit because they know one of his former coaches really well. And he's a guy that when I watched him in 20, 
uh, the last summer when I started studying this draft class, there were times where I watched him and went, boy, that's really good, really good. But it wasn't consistent. And then in 2019, he sort of was banged up, um, so he wasn't at full strength, but he played every game. And that's something that, that stood out, you know, how tough he was. The fact that even banged up, he was still out on the field, he was still playing, still trying to help his team as a senior, knowing his draft prospects um, were basically, you know, uh, on the line every time he stepped out on the field. So I think the needs at wide receiver and at corner, um, I think they can be satisfied in this draft. I think edge rusher is tough. And so that's where the Texans are probably going to have to be creative in looking at some guys um, that can, can fit the bill, even if they aren't kind of the traditional three, four outside linebacker or four, three defensive end, they're probably going to have to get creative in some sense to find guys that can get to the quarterback and maybe do it, even though they're not the traditional sort of player um, that you might want in those positions. But, um, that's what this draft class has, and that's what you're going to have to deal with. Um, and you're going to have to get creative a little bit with some of the guys just because there's not that many out there. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because without the absence of the first round pick this this year, you know the the Texans get get a chance to to hone in on uh, on, on some talent later down the board, and and hopefully uh, you'd like to think potentially, Johnny. I don't know what you think of this of the the way in which the process is being conducted. There's no top thirty visits this year. Um, you know the combine times probably weren't like for like apples and apples versus previous years just with the timings it was held at is this year going to be more based on tape and less you know less based around those interviews and all those late season adjustments that people make to the board or how do you think the 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 current climate um, is going to affect the draft and then also what do you think of the draft obviously rightly so but it's going to be scaled back versus what you know what i experienced last year in nashville it's going to be the you know the polar opposite yeah it's you know it's interesting with the top 30 visits you know being in the building you know the last few years it's, it's been so interesting because you know i would see a guy and i would go oh hey that's such and such oh man are we looking at this guy are we going to draft this guy oh man i would and then my wheels would just get turning and of course i would go down to lunch and I would see all these guys in the, you know, in the cafeteria. I was in the cafeteria back in the uh, spring of 2017, and I see Deshaun Watson sitting back there at the table um, with a couple of receivers. He's sitting there with Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. I'm just like, oh, that would be fun, man. Holy cow! So, and then it then it happened. But I remember last year I was sitting at the at the salad bar, and I'm I'm standing next to this guy, and I'm telling you, he is a massive dude. And I'm like, who is this? And I was like, uh, and I kind of look at him I'm like, wait, he does look familiar. And I was like, hey, I'm John. How you doing? He goes, hey, I'm Titus, Titus Howard. And I was like, whoa. And he just reminded me immediately right off the bat of Dwayne Brown and just body type. And I was like, okay. Um, and I was like, you got a bunch of visits. I was, yeah, I've been all over the place. Yeah, like 25 different visits. But the thing about it to me was, you know, with those visits, I think, I think they're helpful. I think what you're, they're going to be a lot of different. I'm, I'm curious to see how this all goes, but I think you're going to see guys. The seniors are, are going to be guys that they saw at the senior bowl. They had an opportunity to meet them at the senior bowl and at the combine. So I do think they're going to be those guys that maybe get drafted, maybe before some of the upper, the underclassmen that declared, um, especially some of the underclassmen that were hurt or injured. Um, I think some of those guys are going to be at a disadvantage for sure. Because they, um, 
they just haven't had much time with them. And so I've, you know, kind of poked around, kind of asked some of our guys, kind of some of the scouts I know around the league. And I was like, how does this kind of hurt you guys? And they're like, eh, you know, we did a lot. We did a lot of work on these guys beforehand. We just need a couple of questions that we need answered. And we can do that via Skype or whatever. So we'll, we'll be all right. And I just, I just thought that was pretty interesting. You know, the timing of this could have been way worse. I mean, if, you know, I mean, it's, it's bad as it is, but, you know, had, had something happened back in January where they couldn't have had the senior bowl, or any of those things, then I think you absolutely would have had some issues, but I think given the timing of it, they've had some time and they'll still have the opportunity to meet these guys, you know, via, uh, you know, Skype or FaceTime or whatever. So I think they'll end up being, being all right. I think there will be some small school guys um, that, you know, really pop on teams radars because of their pro days. I think those guys might lose out a little bit, but I think what it's going to do, it's going to put the scouting and the personnel departments really in the forefront to say, Hey, um, you know, if our department has been good at doing their job, they're going to be able to unearth some of these players um, and really be on top of it and know these guys so that we're not making mistakes in the undrafted free agent process that we know some of these small school guys uh, that other teams may not be aware of or, want to put in the time to know. So I think the Texas scouting department will do a good job. I think those guys do a great job overall. Um, I think, you know, it's funny because, you know, Kyle Waring was the guy that sort of surprised everybody last year when he declared. But in talking to our guys, they talked about our, our scouting process, and they were like, look, we were on top of that, you know, way back in, in August. Saw him in, in fall camp, started asking questions, started doing some research, did some digging. So that when he did declare, we weren't caught off guard. Um, that was hearing that. I was like, oh man, that's that's such good news. Um, and now hopefully we'll be able to see what Kali Waring can do in 2020. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you're going to have to rely on and, and, and hope that the Texan staff has done. And knowing these guys, I'm pretty sure that they've done that. So um, I think it will impact. You know, it definitely has an impact. Uh, but as far as the draft goes, you know, it's become such a fan event. I hate that. You know, sound like Vegas was going to put on a really good show. But for me, I'm just – I'm okay with it because I'm kind of holed up in a room anyways just talking about these guys. Um, and I'll just be doing the same thing that I always do. Um, so I'll, I'll just keep, you know, talking about the draft and what teams are doing, and I'm looking forward to doing that. But I hate the fact that, that Vegas won't have this opportunity to show it off, and hopefully uh, they can get it back there in 2021 because um, I think it'll, I think Vegas would put on a really, really good draft show. Um, because this thing has become such an event and I think the fans have helped make it that in Nashville just seemed to push it over the top last year so I think places looked around and said hey we can do that and Vegas being one of them with all that they have obviously to offer out there so um, I know Drew Doherty was upset when we traded for Laramie Tunsil just because he wasn't going to go to the draft at that point because we didn't have a first rounder Um, and now it looks like nobody will go to the draft but um, it looks like it'll happen. So getting ready for it, excited for it. And uh, it'll be a month from today. We'll be going into day two, um, the second and third rounds of Texas will make three selections. Yeah. And, and if, uh, if Johnny, if you had uh, if a prospect that you're high on, you've not necessarily seen other people, you know, talk about this guy so much. Have you got a name that, that's, uh, that's, that's up there in your list that you think the Harris 100 will reflect? more than potentially some of the other media outlets have? Well, I, I feel like people miss the boat on LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver slash offensive weapon from Colorado. And 
I, I don't, I, I look at him and my, the thing about him and I, I look at him as a coach and, and maybe that's what, maybe I'm looking at it differently than, than others. He hasn't been healthy. In fact, he just got done with the combine and he's having core muscle surgery. And so that's setting him back. But even before that, people were sort of souring on him. And I look at it and go, wait a second, man, that guy can play every position on the field. Like I could probably play him on defense too. You know, he's 6'1", 227 pounds. He looks like a running back. Um, I don't think he's completely polished as a wide receiver. And I think that's probably why, why people are like, eh, not totally sure. But I look at what Debo Samuel did last year, and I go, well, do you want another Debo Samuel? Because this guy's bigger, and I think he, in the long run, could end up being a better overall weapon. Um, and I think about putting LaVisca Chenault with us, and I'm like, whoa. That could get really interesting. So, to me, a guy like LaVisca Chenault is kind of, I don't know, falling through the cracks in some sense. And I know people still, you know, have him in their second round or whatever, but I have him in my top 25. Cause I just I look at him as to what he can do on a football field, and, and I, I love the guy. So, LaVisca Chenault is one of those guys for me. Um, another guy to me that I absolutely love, and he – I don't think he will be a Texan because I just don't think – I don't think we are going to draft the linebacker, but Logan Wilson's an inside linebacker for Wyoming. And I love him to death. He's a 6'2", 240, uh, 238 to be exact. He ran 4'6 in the 40. He was a track guy in high school. And I think he plays faster than 4'6". Just watch him on the field. I mean, he can fly. I mean, he can absolutely flat-out fly. Tackles well. Um, I think I think he's – all-time leading Wyoming tackler in history. I don't. I think it's close. Well, he's at the Senior Bowl. He tackled everything. Um, I think he's a whale of a player, Logan Wilson of Wyoming. He is definitely not going to be a Texan because I think the Texans have got uh, enough linebackers to go around. And the way that linebacker is sort of going in the league, you know, Logan Wilson fits it. But I just feel like the Texans have got what they need at linebacker. And, and Wilson, the, the Texans – Draft the linebacker probably be day three, and Wilson will definitely be a day two guy. I just think he's a whale of a player. Um, and there's some people that kind of have their eyes on him, but I absolutely love that guy um, from out of Wyoming. So those are a couple of guys I don't think have gotten as much love that probably deserve a little bit more than they've gotten. And you touched on Titus Howard, Kahali Waring last year um, in terms of project picks. Is there a guy out there that you think is just has got all the traits just needs to get inside a, a pro a pro building, hit the weight room, get the nutrition right, and he's going to be a player. Um, probably the first guy that comes to mind, and and really, you know, physically, um, you know, conditioning wise, I think he's probably uh, right where he needs to be. But I just think he needs to be playing a game at a higher level. That's Jeremy Chin from out of Southern Illinois, the safety. I think he's got every asset you're looking for. Um, but he played at Southern Illinois, and he just hasn't played top-notch competition. And I think the one thing about Titus, Titus had that one game against Auburn where he faced all of their rushers, all of their defensive linemen, and he shut down every single one of them. And Chin had a really good senior bowl. Um, but, I, you know, the senior bowl, there were, you know, look, there were great seniors there, but you didn't face the top upperclassmen, et cetera. But I just think when Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois starts facing some of the better, you know, better NFL talent, he realizes that he fits 
And then I think Jeremy Chin's going to end up being, a, I think he's going to be a really solid football player uh, at the next level. So Jeremy Chin is a guy to me that sort of kind of fits that bill that, you know, under the radar, played at FCS school, um, kind of fits into the Titus Howard uh, area, if you will. So I think Jeremy Chin is going to be a super football player, and I wouldn't be surprised if Texas are taking a look at him to be in that spot opposite just Justin Reed. And is there one player there, Johnny, that you see a lot of people high on talking up, getting talked up in the media, early round or or midday mid round prospect? You just you're just not buying into right now. I think the one guy that stands out to me from that perspective is Christian Fulton from LSU, and and I want to make sure you know because and and obviously no offense to your question, I, I've been asked every draft I'm asked that question. Hey, is there there's a player you're not quite as high on that you know? that others are, and, and sometimes it kind of comes off as negative. And I, and I like Christian Fulton as a player, but I see, I see where there are issues. And I think when he plays, when he plays top-notch wide receivers that are good in and out of their breaks, they're crisp and are clean, then I think he struggled. And I think he struggled against Clemson. I think Clemson in the national championship game really went after him. And I saw, those, I saw that same sort of thing. Uh, against other receivers. Now, when I saw receivers that were not crisp, that ran bad routes, that weren't explosive in their route running, uh, he he ate them up. And I think I've seen, a, I, I, don't, I don't know how many mock drafts I've seen with him in the first round. I think that is more about name recognition and him being a corner and his size than it is the type of player he's going to be. And I see him more like you know, a guy like Mackenzie Alexander, who played for Clemson a few years ago, and everybody had him in the first round. I'm like, I don't see it, y'all. I don't see it. This guy is kind of grabby. He's kind of hold, he holds a lot. He's kind of clutch and grab. Um, and I kind of see similar things with Christian Fulton. Now, if you tell me I can have Christian Fulton at number 57, I'll say, oh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I think he's probably right in that late 40s, early 50s round. That, that's where I would put him. But I know people have got him higher than that and I just kind of I don't know man uh, I don't I, I don't see I don't see that from him just yet so Christian Full from LSU would probably be that guy just involved in a mock draft and of UK fans so I'm going to talk you through uh just a couple of decisions I made I want to see what you think um based on okay. my lim- limited research so you, you touched on Chanel so pick number 40 overall uh Chanel uh from from Colorado State on the board a player who the description in a scouting report uh, leapt off the page and they talked about uh, Brandon Anuka of Arizona for having a, the heart of a lion yeah. uh, and just a guy who goes after it and he might not be the biggest guy but he, he, he gives everything on the field. And then uh, we talked about a prospect from TCU but Jalen Ragnar uh, was, the, was the other prospect. Yeah. Now, I went Ragnar 40th overall. What do you think out of those three that were, I, I narrowed it down to on the board? Yeah, I, I would take either one. Um, I'm, I'm a big Jalen Rager fan. Um, his, his agent's a, a buddy of mine, man. It's funny because I didn't know that he had gotten Jalen as his agent. Um, and so I was talking to him, I saw him at senior bowl and I asked him, I said, so, so you got this year and he starts going through his guys and he goes, uh, Jalen Rager. And I was like, what you got Jalen? He goes, Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh man, that is, I, I love this guy. Um, you know, he, again, going back to kind of that Debo Samuel type guy, I think that's the kind of player that Rager can be. Now, I know people expect him to probably run his 40 a little faster, but, you know, the explosiveness is there. 
Uh, I think it's hard to look at 2019 and, and make any declaration off of that because he didn't have great quarterback play for most of the season. And I think he's going to come to the league and do some great things. Brandon Ayuk is the, – the thing about Brandon Ayuk is that he's got return ability, but you don't really use it as much. But, man, I'm telling you, uh, Brandon Ayuk is – he's got some big-time ability. And he's the kind of guy that at number 40 you could see – turning into maybe not DeAndre Hopkins per se, but you could see him turning into a guy that caught 65, 70 passes a year. You absolutely could see that. So uh, I, I like both those guys. I mean, like I said, the receivers, you know, I, I like a lot of these receivers. There are very few receivers I look at and go, eh, I'm not sure I like that guy, but there are a couple that I really like. Jalen Rager is one of them that I absolutely love. And I think his skill set and what he can do kind of going back to that LaVisca Chenault sort of usage, kind of Debo Samuel type, you had a player like that to this roster where maybe his receiver skills right off the bat aren't perfect, but he's so athletic and he's so explosive that you just want to get him the ball and and find a way to use him. And that's the way Rager is. I think that's also the way that IU can be, although Arizona State didn't quite use him that way, but his return skills, show how good he can be after the catch. I mean, his return skills are amazing. So you get a little bit more bang for your buck with Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State and Jalen Rager for sure. And people refer to it being a track meet on the outside now, and it's a need for speed in the league, and you see that with all the teams that have been successful. Um, obviously, scheme dependent. We don't know which way Anthony Weaver might go this year. Um, but in the second round, it looked to taking a corner, 57 overall, uh, and it I narrowed it down to... Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State, uh, a school that's been good to the Texans. Uh, Trayvon Diggs and uh, Jalen Johnson from Utah. I went Jalen Johnson, Utah. Uh, but of those prospects, do you think they can fit in the scheme that Weaver's looking for, or would you have somebody else? Yeah, I think those three are probably the, the, the right names. Uh, and, and you said you're with Jalen Johnson. That would be the one I would say of those three that I would want. I would probably take them in the order of Johnson, Dantzler, and Diggs, Dantzler, to me, is very intriguing. Uh, long arm, didn't run exceed, ex- exceedingly well, but 6'2", 180, still has kind of room to grow. But, man, you talk about competitive dude now. Wow. He, he'll get after you. Jamar Chase from LSU is the best receiver in the country. And Cameron Dantzler just got in his face, and they went toe-to-toe all day long. And that, I mean, Dantzler's a tough dude. And Johnson, to me, I just there's there's a fluidity to his game that I love, so I would put Johnson of that group. Diggs, the one he's got the size, he's got the DNA. Obviously, he's, he's Stephon Diggs' brother. But when I watch him, there's something missing. Uh, I just you know there are times I watch him, he's just lazy, and I, I I don't know. I have a hard time watching him thinking it's gonna all come together. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to fault. You know, six two two oh seven. You know, runs in the four four range. It's you know, it's hard to find fault with that. But when you turn on the film, you go, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not totally seeing it. I just see, I see laziness. I see laziness in coverage. Um, I see, you know, undisciplined, you know, just undisciplined things that you wouldn't expect from an Alabama corner. But I see that with Trevon Diggs. Now, could he be a player? Absolutely. There's a lot of refinement that has got to happen. Um, and, and maybe he's the kind of player that can do it. It does help that he's got a brother in the league that kind of knows how things go. 
Um, but he, to me, has got the furthest to go in all of this. I'd put Johnson and Danzler probably a step, step and a half ahead of Diggs for sure. And I watched the Utah game last year, and that defense was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I've seen a lot of people talk about Brad and E uh, is uh, or and I uh, as a top fifty pick. Um, he was the guy that I took with my second, and it was actually funny you mentioned Darrell Taylor because it was between those two guys that it nailed it down because it had Curtis Weaver on there from from Boise, and it was it was an E I went with. Uh, but what do you think of those? I know you've touched on Taylor already, uh, but what do you think of Brad and I, um, and as well as Curtis Weaver potentially the options for the Texans at edge? I love Bradley and I. I'm glad you brought him up. Um, and I should have mentioned him when I was talking about edge rushers. I'm a huge fan of Bradley and I. Huge. I I love guys, and this kind of goes back to the discussion about LaVisca Chenault and Jalen Rager. I like I love guys that I can do different things with. And maybe that's the, the former coach in me. I just like a guy that I could say, hey, I want you to do this, and then next time I want you to do this, and then, oh, wait, I want you to do this. I like that. And Bradley and I does that, especially when he's rushing the quarterback. I, I watched the game against um, USC, against Austin Jackson. And I was watching the game for Austin Jackson. And by the time I got about halfway through, I started watching what Bradley and I was doing. And, I mean, I was well aware of it. I had seen it. But I was watching it for Jackson. I just couldn't take my eyes off Bradley and I. Loved, loved watching him. Every time he rushed a quarterback, it felt like there was a different pass rush move, you know, double swipe move, you know, slap rip, you know, arm over move. Oh, here's an inside move. Like he was using a different pass rush move every time. So I was excited he was going to the senior bowl. And when I watched him at the senior bowl, it was the same thing. Every time he rushed, he had a different plan. And I love that. I love that. When you have a young pass rusher with a plan, I, I love that. And that's exactly what, what he has. And he's got the, he's got the size at 260 to be able to play on the edge and hold and set the edge. And he's a guy that could play all three downs out on the edge uh, because of the way that he does rush a quarterback. Now, I, I wouldn't say that he's totally and completely twitched up. You know, he's not a guy like Zach Bond or Josh Uche, but those guys are also not 260 pounds uh, with a bunch of pass rush moves and successful pass rush moves like Bradley and I. You give me Bradley and I at 57, <laughs> I'll throw a party um, because I think he's going to end up being a really, really good player in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, and as, as we uh, as we speak, I'm we're, we're approaching the next pick that's coming up for for me, Johnny. So I'll need to I'll need to outsource your advice uh, for the next one. Looked at going inside inside on the D line, uh, a prospect I've seen a lot about. I've talked high in some circles, less so in others. Jordan Elliott out of Missouri. What do you make of him um, to get that sort of golden goose that a lot of teams are looking for to get some push up the middle? Yeah, you know it's funny. I just had I was just on with. Um... A uh, buddy of mine in College Station where Texas A&M is, and obviously at Texas A&M they love Justin Matabike from Texas A&M, and I, I love Matabike too. Uh, Jordan Elliott's a guy I've followed for a long time, and it's kind of a long personal story, but my son went to high school where Jordan Elliott was going to high school, and my son um, has high-function autism, so he was in a special needs class. His, his mentor teacher – was Jordan Elliott's defensive line coach at Westside and at Westside High School. And so he would always tell me, he's like, hey, man, I got this guy. I got this guy, uh, Jordan Elliott. You know, he would kind of, you know, keep me, uh, you know, up to date on what Jordan was doing. So I've followed Jordan from afar for a long time. Uh, and I think he would be a tremendous player. You know, and, and we were talking about, you know, draft, you know, where the draft strengths 
are. I think, and, and I've heard people say, nah, defensive line's not that good. I think the interior defensive line is much better than people think. I think between Ross Blacklock at TCU, Jordan Elliott, as you mentioned, from Missouri, Justin Matabike from Texas A&M, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma, you got four guys that you know are going to get drafted after Derrick Brown. And those are four guys that can all get after the quarterback and do some different things. So I think those four guys are back into the first, on into the second, and, and maybe one of them falls into the beginning of the third, but not much, much, much beyond that. But I think those are all guys that make a lot of sense for the Texans with either one of those picks. Because you mentioned it. You think about the teams that had success last year, the Chiefs of 49ers first come to mind. Of course, oh, yes, Patrick Mahomes, I get all that. Um, George Kittle for the 49ers. But both teams, you know, the consistent thread was interior pass rush. Yeah, there was Nick Bose on the outside and Frank Clark for the Chiefs. But the Niners had Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. And the Chiefs had Chris Jones. The Eagles have Fletcher Cox. The Rams have Aaron Donald. you got to get to the quarterback from the inside. And that's something that a lot of teams are going to be looking for. So I think there's going to be a higher uh, market on those players uh, than maybe, you know, a lot of people in the media think because you've got to be able to create that. And I saw what it meant to the Chiefs to have Chris Jones. That made a lot of difference for them. And so I think those are going to be players. And look, there are, there, listen, there aren't Chris Joneses growing on trees out there. But I think Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw are going to go early. And then I think there's going to be this gap, and then you're going to have those four guys, Blacklock, Elliott, Matabike, and Gallimore, that are going to end up being the next four off the, off the list. And those guys, I think, are going to give you more pass rush pressure than the first two guys. But because Derek Brown's 326 pounds, it can move like a ballerina. And Javon Kinlaw is 6'6", 315, and has arms that go on for days. I think those guys, because of traits, are going to get selected first. But the other guys, I think are going to have a chance because of their quickness, their agility inside, their versatility to rush from different spots inside, and the fact that they can just rush from inside and be effective, period. Those guys are going to get a lot of run, I think, in this draft. Yeah, and the other one I'd like to join just finally is uh, is interior line, just for a bit of depth in there. Left on the board at the minute is Robert Hunt, Nick Harris, Bill Bresden. Uh, a guy I really like is Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. Uh, but actually, the, the the guy that I thought was the most value um, on the, on the uh, was John Simpson from Clemson as well. What do you think would be a, a fit with the Texan scheme uh, for a sort of mid to late? Not necessarily those guys, but a mid to later round pick to add some depth in a unit. You can never have enough good players on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you you brought two good ones out. Now, I think Simpson overall is probably better than Stenberg, but I know people in the scouting community that really like Stenberg from out of Kentucky. And I, I think there's, there's a lot to like. I mean, a guy who's had a lot of starts playing in the SEC, very effective playing on the inside. To me, Simpson is a – you mentioned it. It wouldn't be – you know, Simpson and Stenberg wouldn't be guys that you would look at, I think, on day two, but maybe on day three if those guys are there in the fourth, fifth round to maybe come in and push Zach Fulton for that guard spot. Potentially, that could be something they could do. Um, I, I could see that for sure. You know, I think a guy like Shane Lemieux out of Oregon – uh, is a guy that fits into that interior offensive line category as well. Um, but Simpson's pretty interesting to me. Um, at the Senior Bowl and, and late in the season, he he got hurt. He his his ankle. It's funny. I was watching one on ones. I'm like, one foot looks really really big compared to the others. And then I got down on the field afterwards, and I realized he had a brace on his right foot that was just massive. So 
he'd been playing with a pretty roughed up ankle um, and was gutting his way through it. So, you know, everything that I've heard about John Simpson just off the field is kind of, you know, what you want in a player. And of course he played at Clemson. So, you know, for some reason he'll move. Well, the Texans seem to love Clemson players. Um, so maybe he moves to the top of this, but yeah, as far as late, you know, day three guys, I think those guys would make a lot of sense for the Texans. No question about it. Uh, just a running back. Um, Texas paying a lot of money, obviously, but you've got, uh, you got Duke going in his last year. Uh, and we've um, we've also got, also acquired a running back in the tree, which we didn't touch upon. Uh, but in terms of any running backs that provide a compliment to those guys, is there any any ones in the draft that you think is an E.G. Dillon, uh, Zach Moss, guys that can come in and uh, and can contribute a complementary skill set to the two Johnsons we've got in the backfield? Yeah, I do think so. I think this draft is loaded with a bunch of running backs. My 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 dream for Jonathan Taylor is you know dead. A big Jonathan Taylor guy. I would love to see it. As I said earlier, the Packers were my second favorite team growing up since I was born in Wisconsin. And so I love the Badgers, and I wanted Jonathan Taylor to be a Texan, but I know that's not going to happen. But I do think this draft has a litany of running backs that can come in and help you in a lot of different ways. And I know last year Duke and Carlos were able to stay relatively healthy, but that's a luxury. So I do think finding a young running back that you can – start grooming for the future, depending on what happens with David Johnson, what happens with Duke Johnson. I do think when you have a draft that is this loaded at running back, you've got to take it. You got to take a flyer. Now the good thing about it is running backs are getting, um, what's the right way of saying it? Their market value is dropping. So you're seeing guys, good running backs pushed into the second, third, fourth round. So, that, I think, works the Texans' favor, that if they wanted to look at a running back in the fourth round, fifth round, I do think you could find some guys there. The guy that I love is Cam Akers from out of Florida State. Um, I just don't think you get him beyond that third-round pick, um, but I think he would be a guy absolutely uh, that I would want to look at. Another guy that's kind of intriguing is Antonio Gibson from out of Memphis. Now, he's got to play running back at the Senior Bowl, he played both at Memphis. When he went to the combine, he worked out at wide receiver. So he's kind of all over the place. And he was a junior college kid, so only played two years at Memphis and didn't play a lot last year. But he's got a ton of versatility. And I think he could grow into a really nice running back option, but he can also play receiver too. So uh, you get a little bit of bang for your buck. So to me, Cam Akers is a guy I love. Antonio Gibson from Memphis would also be a guy that I would love to take a look at do the versatility in playing a number of different positions. Yeah, and I think one one uh, position we don't need to look at uh, after many years of doing so is quarterback because we've got a real one in Deshaun and uh, that, that makes the draft process and your team building a hell of a lot easier. But uh, Johnny Harris, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate that. Some great stuff on the draft as we... Uh, as we get going, as you said, a month a month out, and uh, hopefully looking towards that, we can see where this team's shaping up for 2020. But Johnny, thank you very much again for your time. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Thank you.